This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me! It's Jonathan Elway, he was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy, bang bang, sling sling, toss toss, I'm going to lose all the time and then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gillikin. Yes, I'm Kevin Gillikin, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. And here goes Kittle again. Kittle off to the races. Still going. Kittle tripped up inside the 15-yard line. There's Kittle wide open. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. 85 yards. Go, go. to stun the Denver Broncos. Why does it hurt so much? Because it was real. McManus. 
the kick. He's got it. That's a winner for Denver. The Broncos rally on the road to knock off the Chargers. Third and goal. Over the top and intercepted. Intercepted by Shelby Harris. The fumble on the field. It's a live football and Denver has it. Bradley Chubb has recovered. Turnover number three by Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure none of that's real. You're not real, man. What in the heck did I just watch? Oh my gosh. Yes, I didn't stay up last night because, you know, I do have a life and I can't always stay up till 1 or 2 a.m. on a Monday morning or a Sunday night. So, yes, I went to bed and I got up at early in the morning to, to watch the Broncos in an abbreviated version, which is awesome. I love watching football without commercials. I'm telling you, this is the way of the future, people. But... Unfortunately, I woke up to one of the most embarrassing performances that I I may have ever watched. I mean, now we're going to go into that a little later that perhaps it wasn't. But because the team had won three in a row, because it was a team we had hopes for, I had hopes for, I was talking about how Vance Joseph could be extended. Case Keenum was a quarterback who could possibly lead this team if put in the right position. And they laid an egg. I mean... No question about it. They led Neg. It was embarrassing. They, they they lost to the worst team in football, or one of the two worst teams in football, a team with almost zero talent, the 28th ranked defense, a, a third string quarterback, nobody to catch the ball except for one guy named George Kittle. And the Broncos went in there and they were not prepared. They were just not prepared. They weren't ready. They weren't ready to play in that first half. They had no idea what they were doing on the defensive or offensive sides. Almost every phase of the game was terrible. It was it was a rough, rough game to watch. I mean, especially the first half. Yeah, the second half got more interesting, but was there ever a feeling like they were going to actually be in it and have a chance to win? I didn't feel it. The, 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 the offense just has these games where they they lose all form of, of rhythm and they lose all form of what they're trying to accomplish. And when a defense figures anything out about them, when, when the defense stops Phillip Lindsay, you're done because Case Keenum just can't find a way to win. Now, yeah, the offensive line was terrible. Now, they've they've been, I've lauded them for the last three weeks, and I've said how great they've been since, with all the injuries, and they were. They were, okay? There's no reason to feel bad about saying how good they have been. They were very good for three weeks. Now, that was not the case here in San Francisco. Now, San Francisco has three, you know, I guess top drafted guys on their defensive line, but come on, they're the 28th ranked defense. This is not a good defense. And you just went up and put up, what was it, 65 total yards in the first half. Total yards in the first half. I believe Keenum had something like 40 passing yards in a half. That is absolutely despicable. I mean, it, it, duh. I, I mean, I know all you fans out there feel the same as me. What can you even say? What can you say? All, the hope is gone. Come on, the Broncos aren't making the playoffs now. They're not making the playoffs now. I mean, you just lost against the worst team in football. This was a game that you you had to win. You had to. They, the, the Broncos had to win out, and they had the, the chance to do it. They had the schedule. For goodness sake, you're playing San Francisco, Cleveland, and Oakland three in a row, and then 
the LA Chargers who might be resting because they already have their spot sealed. If if the Broncos go and win three now and miss the playoffs because of this loss in San Francisco, that's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. And it has to be obviously on the coaches and the players. And the players, I mean, go back and look at that. The, the first big reception by, by Kittle, I think it was a uh, maybe a 60-yard reception. And it was a simple slant over the middle. Um... And he made a nice run, but there were three missed tackles. And they're not just missed tackles. They're just, they're whiffs. They're, they're whiffs. Look, look at Bradley Roby try to tackle George Kittle. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. I mean, I, I, I think every parent or every coach out there who's coaching peewee or little, whatever it is, go show your, your, your kids this Bradley Roby attempt at a tackle and tell them, hey, kids, if you, if you ever want a chance to do anything in football and not be an embarrassment... Don't play like this. Bradley Roby, you know, the guy, he shows up sometimes and he doesn't others. And in my opinion, that's almost the worst kind of player. A player that's unpredictable, a player that sometimes shows up to play, sometimes makes great plays. He did it against Pittsburgh. He forced that fumble on Connor. I get it. He makes plays. And then he goes the next game and he totally coughs it up. He chokes. He did it this game. That, that was an embarrassing tip play. Embarrassing. I, I, how many times have I used embarrassing already in four minutes of this podcast? And But it's deserved. And, and there were several other plays that just inexcusable. How, how do you leave George Kittle with half a football field open on that 85-yard touchdown? That's indescribably bad. And, and obviously it goes to the coaching staff. It also goes to the players. Now, how do you go in as, as, a, as a coach? How does Joe Woods go in, make a game plan when... The 49ers have one good player. I don't think anyone can deny that, right? I mean, Breida, Matt Breida is injured, their running back, who's, who is their best player. And, and then George Kittle is their second or maybe even their best player. Why don't you go in and just double the guy or, or, or do something? I mean, I chip him, whatever it is, to make him not get in his, you know, in his route correctly. And they didn't do it. I mean, obviously they didn't do it. The guy was breaking records like every every pass play in the first half. 210 receiving yards in a half. That is the best receiving performance in, in the first half since 1991 for anybody. Not just tight ends, for any receiver. And that's against our beloved Denver Broncos defense. Now, this is the problem. It, it, the Broncos have been bend but don't break for the last three weeks. The problem with that whole idea, that whole scheme, is that if you don't force turnovers... It doesn't work typically. I mean, usually you have to make them make mistakes. And if you're going to give up 330 yards in the first half, it almost never works. It only works if you get a little bit lucky. And they didn't get lucky this time. They didn't. Mullins, the, the, the third string quarterback, undrafted quarterback, played really well. He looked like Joe Montana against the Broncos. Again, what's the correct word I'm looking for here, Broncos fans? Uh, yeah, that would be embarrassing and that's what it was this whole game yeah the second half they they, they made it interesting that the 49ers I thought came out with a bad game plan for some reason they stopped going to Kittle they, they decided to, to try to run the ball and it didn't work and the Broncos almost came back they, the Broncos were more successful on fourth down than third down I think the next few games they should just kneel on third down and just go for it on fourth down every time because apparently that's the only possible way for success for this team this offense that just looks so bad they're just bad. I mean, if, if Philip Lindsay isn't having some crazy, insane game, it, there's no one to rely on. I mean, Sutton, he's another guy. I like Sutton. I do. I think he has a, a bright future. I like Freeman. I like Lindsay. I'm not, don't worry. I'm not panicking about this team for the future. There is hope. This rookie class is really good. And I think there is a lot to build around, but 
you know, when, when you're going off of a bad offensive line and, and, and you have Case Keenum as quarterback and Bill Musgrave calling it eh, an okay, I guess, game plan, you're just not going to win many games. And this team is who we thought they were, to steal the quote from the famous Eric Green. that They are who we thought they were because they're they're okay. They're not good. They're not really bad. They're Okay, and honestly, that's what most fans thought from the beginning of the year. They've predicted eight and eight. I said the the absolute ceiling for this team was nine and seven, and that's about right. And and so you know, yeah, it hurts on a loss after like this, but you know, this is a team that we should kind of have expected, and that's a problem. Obviously, I mean, the Denver Broncos fan base is not one that deals with going nine and seven as your best possible chance for a season. It just doesn't work. Now, yeah, I hope they don't have two losing seasons in a row and they have a chance because I think they they definitely can beat Cleveland at home. They can win in Oakland. They could beat the Chargers, but they're not going to make the playoffs now. And they they really they they screwed the pooch. They 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 they're they're done for the year and, and it's all on them. It's their fault. And the fact that they're just coming back on the pre- after the you know for the press conference after the game and saying, oh yeah, you know, we props to 49ers, you know, on to the next game. No, it's not on to the next game. You're, you're done. You you just finished your season. I want to hear a little bit more regret. I want someone to come out and say, yeah, we sucked. We sucked. This was bad. Yeah, and I'm down about it. Of course I'm down about it. And all these comments about, you know, oh, you know, why are people so up and down? That's what we do, okay? Deal with it. That's who we are. We're Monday morning quarterbacks. That's, I mean, it, that's why you're listening right now, right? Anyone listening to this podcast, you're listening because you want to hear what I have to say or what anybody has to say about the Broncos' win or loss or, or whatever they're doing. And so, yeah, I, I'm emotional. Do you want me to sit here and just, um, the Denver Broncos' stats were, you know, 333 passing? No, that's not what you want. You want emotion. That's what fans do. I'm a fan, okay? I'm I'm not some guy in Connecticut with ESPN getting paid just to talk about statistics or about highlights. I'm a fan. And it hurts. It hurts. I hate waking up on a Monday morning watching a Broncos game and being embarrassed by my team. I'm going to have to deal with a week on ESPN or CBS and wherever I'm 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 reading articles or listening to podcasts and all I'm going to hear about is how the Broncos choked and they've done it several times this season. They didn't show up. It's just like the Jets game. They didn't show up. And yes, a, a lot of that's on the players. There were some just bonehead mistakes. Von Miller, those three penalties were bonehead mistakes. And yes, he admitted it, which I appreciate. But you you have to also blame the coaches. And yeah, I, I know. I, I've been a, a Vance Joseph apologist for the last three weeks. But they won. Okay. When they win, yeah, I'm going to say, hey, if Vance Joseph continues to win, then he should have a chance at being the 2019 head coach. And yes, I thought the Broncos were going to win this game. I think pretty much everybody did because you know why? They should have won this game. This is a game the Broncos should have won. They could have won. I mean, I get it. You're missing Chris Harris Jr. You're missing Emmanuel Sanders. The 49ers are missing Garoppolo. They're missing Breida. They're missing two of their top three players. Get over this stupid idea of the, the Broncos' injuries. Yeah, they suck. You know what? The 49ers probably have worse injuries. They're starting a guy who no one had ever heard of, a third-string quarterback who looked really good. Props to him. Mullins looked great. I mean, I, I hope, I wish him success. Truly, I do. I, I love the underdog story. 
they lost, and, and and we've got to deal with that now, and we have to deal with the negativity that comes with it. So, you know, I, honestly, I had prepared a show for a win. My topics were about the Broncos moving forward this year. My ideas were for how they can continue to to move toward the playoffs. Maybe they're going to have a bad game against Cleveland. I I did not factor in a, a San Francisco victory. And, and the problem is, I think that's the same case with the Broncos. They seem to overlook opponents just like they do, well, like they did when they went to New York. The Jets just pounded them. And the Broncos did not look prepared. And, and, and for me, I often see when a team doesn't look ready, they don't look prepared, they don't look coached when they're missing tackles. That that shows heart to me. Now, this is another thing I noticed. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But when I was looking at the kickoff team, there are a lot of return kickoffs, and that's unusual, I know, in, in the 2018 NFL. The blocking just looked terrible. It did not look like anyone was really trying to hit anybody. It looked like people were a little scared, a little timid. Now, that's a lot to say. Maybe I'm wrong. I only watched the game once, but I, I noticed it. It's the same when I noticed Bradley Roby is is whatever you call that trying to to touch um George Kittle. I think he he thought it was two-hand touch for a minute. That that speaks to me of a team that doesn't have the heart that day. Now, I think the Broncos have shown a lot of heart this season. They've shown a lot of heart the last 3 weeks, but this week they didn't have it. And, and either that's because they were down about their injuries, they 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 thought that the the 49ers were going to roll over and the 49ers weren't very good or you know the coaching staff didn't have them prepared and it's probably a mix of all three and you have to put that on Vance Joseph now I didn't hate all of the game planning in this this game I think it looked ugly but I think part of it was the offensive line was was really bad and and that's there is an excuse for that they're they're really playing out of position um but the, the, the challenges, I know that's going all around the internet, how bad Vance Joseph is at challenges, and it's the truth, and, and it's a big part of the game. And, and that, that the fact that he is one, in, one for six in challenges this season, is, is just, it, it's indicative of bad decision-making. And, and he continues to do it at least once a game or so. And, and I, I didn't mind his going for it on fourth down every time. I, I thought it made sense each time he did it, and they actually were fairly successful. But he's still just not a guy that, that you, you get a whole lot of confidence from. I mean, again, you know, his, his, his decision-making, his antics on the sideline, they they don't make you feel like, Hey, this is a guy who's got it under control, you know? And and I think the Broncos need someone like that. If you don't have a great quarterback, you don't have a lot of leadership. You need a guy who's calm. He's a calming presence. And I don't know if that's Vance Joseph. Now, what do the Broncos do moving forward? Jeez, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to really dig to decide what I want to talk about in the next segments because, again, I had pegged this for a win. I had. And that's on me. And so now, you know, Skipper Dude and I are, are, are we're scrambling to find something to discuss for, for an hour in a week where, what do you say? What, what, what do we say that's not just bashing on this team? I don't want to bash on the team. Okay, again, I think... From the beginning of the season, we predicted eight and eight, nine and seven. That's probably about where they're going to end up. So, in the grand scheme of things, they're living up to our expectations. But after a week like this, when you lose to a bad team, uh, what do you say? What do you say? You know, it, it, it's rough. 
it's a it's a rough week, Broncos fans, and and I you know I sympathize with all of you. I hope you do as well with me, um, and we will do our best to find some good content to fill here in the next few segments. So stick around. Um, I've got a couple more coming up, and Skipper Dude's going to come on and give us uh, some something good. I hope, please, Skipper Dude, give us something good. Kevin is hot. Yes, I'm hot, and I'll tell you exactly why I'm hot. If I see one more comment on MileHighReport.com about how these fans are, they never get too high. They never get too low. They just, you know, they're very practical and logical. And they never believed in this Broncos team. And why did we tell them or have any hope or any faith in Vance Joseph? And, and John Elway should be fired. And Vance Joseph's evil. And give it a rest. Okay, give it a freaking rest. You know why? You know why I get hot and why I go high, why I go low? Because I am a fan. You know, that's what we do. We have emotions. That's why we love sports. When the Broncos win, I feel good about it. I say, hey, the Broncos have a chance to go to the playoffs. You know what? Because they did. They did. They were mathematically in it. They are still technically mathematically in it. So yeah, I'm not completely down on the team that I love. The team that I want to go to the Super Bowl. Yes, I do. So when I and promoting what they're doing well and saying, hey, you know, if Vance Joseph wins out and if the team makes the playoffs, he should keep his job and so should the rest of the coaches. That's not going above and beyond and saying this is the greatest team of all time or they're going to make the Super Bowl. It's just saying, hey, you know what? They deserve a little bit of credit when they win. And if they lose, they deserve some talk about, hey, how this is not a very good team. Yeah, that's what we do as fans. We go up, we go down, we're emotional. If you're not emotional, if you're just looking at the stats and saying, yeah, I stay pretty much in the middle and I just look at the practical side. You're not a fan. You're not. Okay? Deal with it. You're not a fan. If, if you're not at all emotionally up when they win and down when they lose, then go find another thing to do. Go go play golf, okay? Go find something that doesn't have excitement, doesn't have emotions, that doesn't have anger or joy, okay? That's what football is. Football is all about the fans the day after, the day of feeling good or bad about it, okay? And so if I exaggerate, or if anyone else on any website or any other talk show host or whatever exaggerates, that's what we do. We're fans. So get over it. Yes, I'm going to overreact in this segment because that's what we do. You know, when you have a team that's not going anywhere and has almost 0% chance of going to the playoffs, I think right now it's, what, 5% or 5.6 or something like that, you have to find a way to make things interesting. And, you know, as a fan, as a guy who's doing a podcast, you do that by overreacting. Yes, okay, it's overreacting. So I want to look at this game in in San Francisco and, and decide, you know, what actually happened? What were things I saw while watching the game? I just watched it again um, with a, the 40-minute uh, condensed version on Game Pass. And there were things that stuck out to me. And, and yeah, maybe other people have different opinions. I don't honestly care. Everyone seeing the game sees different things. And, you know, first I want to start with, with Case Keenum. Obviously, Case Keenum has had ups and downs. He's a guy who clearly turns it on in the fourth quarter 
and finds ways to win. Now, he's a guy who I've compared several times to Tim Tebow, a guy who who is terrible for the, through the first three quarters and then turns it on in the fourth. And I heard an interview on the fan with Orlando Franklin, who obviously was a, a guard at the time during the Tim Tebow days. And Franklin said that he would rather play with Tim Tebow as quarterback than with Case Keenum. <laughs> That's for a lot of fans, that is a serious, serious indictment of Case Keenum. And he said part of it is because Tim Tebow was willing to run the ball if there was nothing open. And part of it was the leadership abilities. Now, he, Franklin hasn't played with Case Keenum, so he probably doesn't have the insight that he did with Tim Tebow. But still, coming from an ex-offensive lineman, that's a big deal. That's saying a lot. Now, you know, Case Keenum, I don't think he's a bad leader or anything, but I think he is a yes man. That That's my first overreaction to this game is that Case Keenum is a yes man. Look, look at how he performs. This game was a clear example of a team that did not want to they, they didn't want to come out and make mistakes. They were they were playing it safe. They thought that that San Francisco was a team that wasn't good. They weren't talented. And so the Broncos just needed to play mistake free in order to win. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that Vance Joseph and Bill Musgrave told Case Keenum before the game, don't make mistakes. And they've been telling him that for weeks. And you know what? Case Keenum hasn't. He has not thrown interceptions. You know what he also hasn't done is play very well. He he, he doesn't take any chances. And Vance Joseph even said that after the game, or, or I think uh, on Monday. I'm recording the second segment on Tuesday. And I think that Joseph said that Keenum needs to take more chances down the field. Now... I think he's, I think that's true. I think Keenum he, he's he's scared. You see him in the pocket, especially early in the games, and he he doesn't want to take that chance. He holds the ball too long almost every chance. And and, and the Broncos went two for fifteen on third down. That's unbelievable. I mean, how does that happen? The Broncos, you know, maybe for a team that's two and ten, you might possibly see that. But the Broncos are six were six and six. Two for 15 is is unheard of. And Case Keenum, as a yes man, I think takes to heart everything that people are saying about playing safe. The whole game plan seemed to be playing safe. You didn't see a whole lot of blitzes on defense. You didn't see many passes downfield because the team didn't want to lose. They they weren't out there to win it. They were out there not to lose. And that is a a... a game plan that usually fails and it failed this time as well and and with Keenum he's shown time and again that when the game is on the line and your coach is in your head saying hey you know we have to win this now we have to press we have to you know get things rolling he succeeds he's been great in the fourth quarter he leads fourth quarter comebacks nearly every game he gets the Broncos into the game at the very last second and has nearly won what four or five of the losses now, the problem is that he doesn't do that until late. And so I think it's because he has the mentality of, of someone who's not a leader, someone who, who doesn't control his own passions or something. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be too harsh on the guy, but but he, he's missing something. He's missing that fire, that leadership ability to say, hey, you know what? I don't care what quarter it is. If it's the first quarter, hey, let's win this now. Let's win this right now in the first quarter on the first play of the game. And, you know, if I want to take a chance, I'm going to throw it down the field. And he's not doing it. He's playing too safe. I, and, yeah, in the, in the beginning of the year, he, he was making mistakes. And so maybe he's just not a very good quarterback. But the guy has to take chances, and he's not doing it. And he's a yes man. So 
if you're going to have a yes man, you better have a coach who's going to tell him what to do, I guess. And and I think Case Keenum is, is who we thought he was. He, he is an okay quarterback who is a guy who can win with a perfect system. The Broncos do not have a perfect system. Okay, now my second overreaction to this game. Second overreaction. The defense as a whole does not understand the scheme. Joe Woods is too smart for the defense. Or perhaps whoever is calling the signals on defense is totally clueless, who I believe right now is Todd Davis. I think it's normally Brandon Marshall, but he's been injured, and I believe Todd Davis has taken over the mic. Someone please tell me if I'm wrong. Now, it's so obvious with with week in and week out, and especially this week with George Kittle running like a crazy man over the defense, that there are some serious, serious miscommunications with the defense. They, they, they really seem to not quite understand what's going on. I don't know if it's... It, it, and it seems from both sides. It seems as soon as the play comes in, it seems to be from the coaches, and it definitely seems to be within the players' huddle. And, and, and as the play is unfolding, they don't understand where they need to be. They don't understand who needs to go where, who's covering whom. And that has to come from the scheme and and, and, uh, okay it's also the players obviously I mean the players are making terrible plays and we'll go into that in a bit too but there's something that's not clicking and and it's been week in and week out and and they were fortunate you know three weeks in a row with that three game winning streak that they they made up for all the yardage they were giving up by by forcing a couple big time turnovers and that's because you do have some very talented players still on defense especially guys on your defensive line in your pass rush and and that being the case, it was working. But but you can't always depend on a couple big turnovers during the game. And so Joe Woods either needs to, I don't know, simplify the defense or, I don't know, put put the mic in someone else's head. I, I mean, I get it. Yes, Chris Harris is a, is a vocal leader of this team, but there were plenty of miscommunications with Chris Harris on the field. Don't don't start putting Chris Harris as this guy who was, who was a savior of this, of this secondary. The secondary has been one of the worst in football all season. And part of that, I believe, is because Darian Stewart is, is, is he's old, he's slow, and, and he just continually makes mistakes. And I think he might, again, be a guy who just doesn't quite understand what's going on in the system. It's a hard position playing free safety or strong safety. I mean, it's a position where you have to really know what's going on for every single player on offense and on defense. And if you don't know that, you don't understand what your coverage responsibilities are, then you're going to make mistakes consistently. And he's done it all season long. And so, again, I'm not saying he's not a smart guy. He was a great player for the Broncos, especially in the 2015 championship season. But something is not connecting this season. And I think either Joe Woods has to go or you have to bring in players who can understand his system. So that's another thing they got to figure out. Now, third overreaction is Bradley Roby is a quitter. And I don't think he's the only one on the team. I think there are some players on the team who don't trust this coaching staff, who don't like this coaching staff, who don't like the game plans the coaches are putting in place. And because of that, they don't always play 100%. Tell me I'm wrong. I I look at that Bradley Roby attempted tackle on George Kittle on that, I think it was a 63-yard reception in the first quarter. That's so bad. I mean, mean, you can't tell me he's trying 100%. What? Take the guy's legs out. Hit him with your body. He just somehow flies by. Darian Stewart is another guy. You see him several times. I just don't see him running. 
hundred percent. And and in the NFL, that is completely unacceptable, especially for a team that had playoff aspirations. And after the game, I heard another interview with Troy Rank, who was in the locker room, who was saying that you know there were players who were who were caught laughing in the locker room after this tough loss, and immediately that rubs fans the wrong way. And Troy Rank described it as the players laughing at a another player who was giving an interview and saying all the right things about the the coaching staff and about the teammates and about the the game plan. And the, the players, his teammates, were laughing behind his back and saying, you know, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, you're saying the right things. Like, they didn't think it was a good a good game plan. They thought it was a bad coaching decision to, I don't know, to not cover George Kittle or whatever it was in the first half. Now, that being the case, the players obviously have to have to perform. They have to, you know, make the best out of whatever their coaches give them. But if your coaches don't believe in the coaching staff, there's obviously a misconnect one way or another. If it's Joe Woods or if it's the players, I don't really care. Something's got to change. I mean, when you're on the edge of the playoffs and your players are laughing at your coach's mistakes or at their own mistakes, that is a major issue. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that's Vance Joseph. It seems like the players play hard for Vance Joseph. I've gotten the impression more that they really don't like Joe Woods. And I'm telling you, part of that problem is because the players adored Wade Phillips. They loved Wade Phillips. They are heartbroken that Wade Phillips left. Now, get over it. That's that's part of the game. That's part of the NFL. It's part of life. You can't always have what you want. And and sometimes you got to work with a guy who maybe doesn't make all the best decisions. And you know what? You got to make the best out of it. And they haven't done that this year. So, you know, I, I the more I go on, each each of these overreactions makes me lean towards the decision that they've got to fire Joe Woods and they have to bring in someone that these players understand or trust or like or whatever it is because they don't seem to come in and play for him week in and week out. They don't seem to understand what he's trying to get across. And Vance Joseph has to appreciate that as a guy who's a defensive-minded guy anyway. He was a he was a secondary coach, a, a defensive coordinator. And he has to understand that the players aren't buying into what Joe Woods is is preaching. And they got to figure that out. And, you know, I guess my my last overreaction is that this is not on Vance Joseph. I know that it was what everyone is saying. They're going to Twitter and saying, hey, you know, now is the time to fire Vance Joseph. When are you going to fire him? You can't fire Vance Joseph after one loss when they just won three in a row against good playoff teams, I get it. It's a terrible loss. It is brutal. It's heartbreaking. It's miserable. But you can't overreact. Even I mean, we can as fans. That's what we do, right? We we do overreact. But the coaches can't. The, the management can't overreact because of one loss. You can't point the finger at Joseph for everything that goes wrong with the team. And that's what so many fans do. They see issues on the field they see things go wrong they see losses and they always point it at Joseph and it's just it's not the right thing to do and in fact I think it's likely that Elway at least keeps him for the 2019 season and possibly farther and because Elway has said multiple times that he sees progress from this team he sees the team getting better and from last year yeah they have and you know what Case Keenum has not been that great he has not been the answer at quarterback but again as we talked about in previous shows what other option did he have I mean you had to get rid of Simeon because Simeon wasn't good enough you had no option at winning with Trevor Simeon so you had to bring in somebody the rookie class was good not great Elway didn't love anybody not enough to pick them in that number five spot where they picked Chubb and so 
instead, they had to go with the best free agent on the market. And that just happened to be Keenum because they weren't going to sign Cousins for that amount of money. And Cousins has not been that good in Minnesota. And they have been a worse team with Cousins than they were with Keenum. Now, obviously, that's not just on Cousins, but it's still the fact. So, again, I think that we, we have to step back a bit and say, okay, you know, this team was never going to be that good. And the fact that they are actually in the conversation for the playoffs actually probably gives Vance Joseph the opportunity to coach again in 2019. And I think Elway believes that. And unless they lose out, or maybe if they lose two more games, I think it's becoming more and more likely that he stays. I think if they are 8-8, eight, 9-7, eight, and seven, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he stays. Unless the team quits on him, in the next few weeks, which I guess is possible. I think they more, they've more they quit more on Joe Woods, um, and Bill Musgrave has been a failure. But I think Joseph has continued to learn, except for his whole um, challenging fiasco. Uh, I think he's gotten better. He's learned from his mistakes, except for challenging. And, and I think the team rallies behind him. I think they like him. And I think, I think Elway likes him. And I think Elway is not a guy who easily... Um, goes back on his decisions. Uh, he, he doesn't own, own up to his mistakes very well. And so you guys better watch out. I think Vance Joseph, I think he's going to stick around. And I know that's going to make a lot of fans unhappy. But up next, the Skipper Dude is going to tell us a little more about Vance Joseph and the art of beating bad teams and what it takes to coach up a team in order to beat bad teams. And <laughs> there may or may not be references um, or comparisons between... Vance Joseph's coaching style and um, farting at a dinner party. So stay tuned for Skipper Dude up next. Thanks, Kevin, as always, for having me on. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today we're going to look at the art, the science, and the psychology of beating bad teams. Um, Very pertinent subject for today. Now, Originally, when I first started outlining the segment of this week, I meant it to be a celebration piece of sorts for for Vance Joseph, who who I figured was going to have easily handled the 49ers and and to go, you know, two and zero in this four game stretch against sub 500 teams and four and one overall in the season against sub 500 teams and and show how how he's been very effective against bad teams. Um, Yeah. So, so what I decided to do in the aftermath of, of the VJ boondoggle of 2018, we'll call it, was to, as we say in the business world, I'm, I'm going to eat my own dog food. Well, meaning that if the principles that I had laid out or intended to lay out as a means of explaining why VJ was two games away after beating the 49ers from a guaranteed return for the 2019 season, then those same principles should also work in having a heavier and harder discussion about VJ's future with the Denver Broncos, which we're all having right now. So my premise, like I had, just like I had planned, is that if you really want to understand the soul, the effectiveness, the value of an NFL coach, look at how he does against bad teams. Now, after Sunday, that's an extremely ominous premise, premise isn't it? But I'd like to ask you a favor as I start out laying my thoughts out. If you could please, if you would, just take 10 minutes or so and forget about Saint jo- uh, about Vance Joseph and the Denver Broncos, and listen to the principles I'm discussing, then I promise that I'll bring the discussion back to VJ before I'm done, and I'll give you my thoughts on the all-important question of the day. Should he stay or should he go? All right, fair enough. 
Okay, so, so I'm going to start today with a little throwback to my own past. It was 1982 as a sophomore in high school playing baseball in Lakewood High School in Southern California. And it's sort of like, that was sort of like playing high school football in Texas or high school hockey in Minnesota, pretty big stuff. And we had a legendary manager named John Herbold. His Big Red teams had, had been uh, featured in Sports Illustrated in the 70s, and they even called him more bombastic than Earl Weaver, if you, if you know that name. And, you know, we were uh, always ranked in the top 50 nationally. It was a big-time stuff. So, anyways, I got called up to the varsity team after the JV season just as a depth guy. I never did play, but I got to be part of the playoff run. In one of my first games, we had a pitcher. And he, this kid was from it was Japan, and he actually played a couple of years professionally in Japan. But his name was Masahiko Yoda. Yep, that's right. I kid you not. Yoda, Y-O-T-A. Now, you know, of course, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back had just come out in 1980. So guess what he got to put up with all year in 1982? But anyways, we were playing an important league game uh, with some base, uh, playoff implications. And we come out and we score six runs in the top of the first inning. Okay, so Southern California high school baseball at the time, it was all about pitching and defense. So this was a massive first inning. Big game. Um, and in between innings, the fans are giving a standing ovation. Music's blaring. And Yoda runs in from the bullpen way out in right field. Coach Herbold then takes two steps out of the dugout toward the first baseline and yells in his legendary Army drill sergeant voice, What's the score? And without breaking stride, without even turning to look, Yoda just barks out, Zero, zero, sir! Now, now I'm standing in the dugout and wanting to kind of shrink into a corner, just grateful that Coach Herbold had didn't have asked me the question because I'm thinking to myself, Coach, it's 6 nothing. weren't you watching? But think about the brilliance of that, of that moment. I, I don't know the whole backstory, but here you had a kid who probably had some focus issues. Maybe he'd blown leads earlier in the year, but the coach had prepped him for this exact situation. He knew exactly what buttons to push at exactly what moment. And as I remember the game, we got through a scoreless first inning, and I think we went on to win 8-2 to two or something like that. So now let's, let's expand that little vignette, if you will, to, to an NFL head coach. Here he is, a centerpiece of his community, right? He's a discussion piece around water coolers all over town. He's in charge of a huge staff of football professionals, and he has 53 young men ages 25, 22 to about 35 or so who are among the most gifted athletes on earth. They're, they're experiencing success and money and fame and egos and personal issues beyond anything most of us could even imagine. And that head coach's job, among other things, is to take these 53 men to go to war every week, command respect, prepare better than the other team, motivate better than the other team, and have these 53 men at a perfect pinnacle of body, mind, and spirit right at game time and then hold that perfect pinnacle for the better part of four hours. Now, granted, you know, these players work their entire lives for the privilege of being one of those 53, and they're well compensated, obviously. But in a sport where the difference between winning and losing is so often it's one play, one strip sack, one blown coverage, one missed tackle, it's the head coach who is often, very often, the ultimate difference maker. So I'd like to go through a fun little exercise here. And I want to look at some indicators that your head coach is not doing his job effectively, okay? I, I call them TPDs, or, or Team Personality Disorder. The, the name's a little intimidating, but trust me, you'll recognize my TPDs. Okay, so TPD number one. This is teams 
that play up to or down to their competition. They beat the contenders, they lose the stiffs, but, but my belief is that playing up to and down to competition is actually, the, believe it or not, it's the natural human state. Players will naturally, instinctively give better efforts for bigger games and lesser efforts for lesser games, and it's on the coaches to overcome that inclination. Okay, I like to compare it to the married or the dating life. Husbands, boyfriends who are great about taking their girls out to meals, about buying them flowers, perhaps right, even writing love letters, but they're terrible about leaving the toilet seat up and farting at the dinner table and laughing about it when guests are around. That, that's the equivalent of, of, you know, in a marriage or dating sense of playing up and down to your competition. So for those of you who know me outside of Broncos and Brockwars, you know that my wife, the Skipper Dudette, is the friggin' Vince Lombardi of wives and mothers. She is hungry for a perfect record and that family Lombardi trophy every season. And why shouldn't she be? Life is too short for 9-7, light beer, or decaf if you're Vince Lombardi. And she's delivered over the years. Now, in this marital team, I'm the GM and I'm the team quarterback. But within the walls of our house, she's the head coach. And she's plenty humble and long-suffering when I have to tell her as a GM, for instance, that we're over the salary cap this paycheck. And I know she doesn't enjoy it. But because she's hungry for that perfect record, she is perfectly willing, all five foot four inches of her, to grab my face mask with her left hand, to poke her right finger, index finger into my chest and say, Skipper, stop farting at the dinner table. I have a cork in the kitchen with your name on it, and I am not afraid to use it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose to the Browns. I don't want to lose to the Raiders. Do you want to lose to the Browns? Do you want to lose to the Raiders? And of course, to which, which I say, well, yeah, of course I want to beat the Browns and Raiders. In fact, um, let me grab my pillow and blanket, and I'll go sleep out on the couch and contemplate just how much I want to beat the Browns and Raiders, and, and also never fart at the dinner table ever again. And as I leave the room, I catch her eye, and she puts two fingers up to her eyes and then points them at me, and she says, without changing expression, I'm not kidding about the cork. So I clench and, and go sleep on the couch. But, but anyways, okay, back to NFL head coaches. If a coach's name, a team is, is playing up to or down to its competition, there's a disconnect somewhere with the head coach. I mean, perhaps he himself is a guy who farts at the dinner table and just puts in a poor effort in preparing to play bad teams. It's possible it happens, but I think it's really more frequent that either the coach himself is not conveying the urgency to overcome the inclination to underprepare for bad teams, or he's conveying the message and his players just aren't buying in. Either way, there's dysfunction at work. So, so TPD number one, playing up to down to competition diagnosis, the con- disconnection between head coach and his players. All right, so TPD number two is what I call team schizophrenia. All right, you, never, you just never know which version of your team is going to show up from each week, Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. And it doesn't even have to do with the competition. It's just any given week, you just don't know. This, I believe, is often caused by a head coach that's resorting to some sort of gimmickry in his game preparation, shortcuts, perhaps a lot of high-risk plays, fiery locker room speeches, perhaps even you know undisciplined scouting reports on the opposition. There's obviously some talent there with a team, if they're good enough to have these high highs, I mean, look at this week's opponent, the, the Cleveland Browns. 
They tied the Steelers. They beat the Ravens. They very nearly beat the Saints in New Orleans. But they also lost the Raiders and had four other losses by two touchdowns or more this year. But you're talking about a team, you know, the, 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 the Browns, with the biggest idiot in the NFL, Hugh Jackson, as a head coach up until a couple weeks ago. And here's a guy who, who took a job as a division rival's offensive coach, coordinator the week after he was fired by the Browns. And a guy who appears to have failed so badly at keeping things real in the locker room that most of his players didn't even want to shake hands with him after their game in Cincinnati. So, so TPD, team personality disorder, number two, t- team schizophrenia, diagnosis, not keeping it real. Okay, so let's move on to team personality disorder number three. These are teams that win at home and lose on the road, okay? Now, of course, we have to grant that there are several NFL cities that have some built-in home field advantages, right? There's the thin air and mile high. You got the Richter scale level crowd noise in places like Seattle and Kansas City. But for the most part, teams with big home road disparities, you think about the Cincinnati Bengals, are dealing with some sort of dysfunctionality. Think about this for a moment. What is probably the most overused, trite saying that, that, you, that ever gets said in every single football locker room in America, right? Nobody comes into our house and pushes us around, right? I mean, and that there's definitely some truth in that. It takes a certain toughness to protect your own turf. But, but think about this. If every team says... Every coach says that nobody comes into their house and pushes them around. Then, of course, it follows naturally that it takes a special level of mental toughness to go into somebody else's house and push them around. So the the Broncos have suffered this quite a bit in their history, winning at home, losing on the road. And, yeah, you can blame it on the thin air to an extent and you have a case, but I really believe that the inability for otherwise good teams to win on the road is rooted in a lack of deep-down confidence and mental toughness that starts with the head coach, okay? So, so TPD number three, can't win on the road. Diagnosis, man up. So finally, let, let's look at TPD number four. Okay, that, that's um, a lousy first half and great fourth quarter, or great, great second half. Sounds like your Denver Broncos for much of this year, especially... Uh, you know, Case Keenum type of a guy. Well, I think the common thinking, and I, I've heard this, I think I even heard you say it, Kevin, is that Case Keenum is just a guy who tends to play poorly for three quarters and then turns it up for the fourth quarter. But but I dug into Case Keenum's 2017 career year, and, and I just don't see any evidence of that. In fact, he had a couple of fourth quarter scores that broke ties in 2017, but he only had one fourth quarter come from behind all year. And that was a 14-9 win against Atlanta. So, so my thinking, in all honesty, is that this tendency to play closely through the first half and then turn it up in the fourth quarter is, number one, not necessarily a disorder. And number two, it's actually a strategic decision that originates with the head coach. So in my, okay, in my 40-some years as a football fan, I have never once seen an NFL playbook. In fact, I suspect I will never see an NFL playbook. But one thing I think I can say for pretty certain is that every play in every playbook for every team is given some sort of risk rating. All right, so think about it as a scale from of one to a hundred, where zero is a quarterback kneel down to to end the game and and 100 is a Hail Mary pass. A major responsibility for a team's head coach, especially 
in games against bad teams is to figure out high, how high up the risk scale he wants to go. Does he want to open up the entire playbook, and, and or does he want to dial it down? Because if he wants to use the entire playbook and his quarterback gets hot, he may very well bury a team 31-3 to at halftime, a little bit like the Broncos did in Arizona this year. But if those risky plays turn into turnovers, or worse yet, injuries, he, he may very well take give a bad team a 24-7 type halftime lead and all of the momentum and basically blow a game he could have won because he got risky. Okay, It's, it's not an easy decision. And, and like we tend to do too often here on, on Broncos and Bratwurst, I'm going to look at Bill Belichick for a moment. Okay, He's such a great case study in so many different ways. One thing I've noticed about Belichick over the years is that when he has a big game against a division rival, it seems like especially early in the season, Jets, Bills, or Dolphins, and that rival looks like it might be able to make some noise in the division that particular year, he seems to go to Josh McDaniel and just says, bury him. And McDaniels opens up the whole playbook. Tom Brady has a ton of fun, and typically they bury them and kill any thoughts that these rivals might have of, of competing for the division. But if you remember, okay, you remember a game back in 2016. Patriots came to Denver. Totally different story. It was in Denver, and, and the Broncos' defense was still pretty potent. Not, not obviously anywhere near as good as like 2015. But they had Trevor Simeon, a quarterback. And, and you could tell if you watched the game that Belichick may have still had some respect for that Denver defense, but none whatsoever for Simeon because he literally came in with the most bland, low-risk offen- low offensive game plan I think I've ever seen from the Patriots. Tom Brady ended up 16 for 32, 188 yards. The Patriots just basically played a field position game, kicked some field goals, and took a very, very boring but very easy 16-3 win. So really, it doesn't always behoove a coach who prepares to play against an inferior team to just put pedal to the metal and think he's going to roll up a 13-3 halftime lead every week. Sometimes the best approach is to throw out the equivalent of a third preseason game plan and and put away all the high-risk stuff, stuff and just let the other team self-destruct. If they don't destruct, self-destruct, then adjust at halftime and then crank up some more risk. Okay, so now I promised that we would bring this back to Vance Joseph, and here we go. Um, VJ's had five games now to work with with teams that were under 500. The Raiders, the Jets, the Cardinals, the Bengals, and the 49ers. And, of course, he'll have two more, you know, the Browns and Raiders the next two weeks. Week two against the Raiders, VJ went ultra low risk, if you remember. And, honestly, whether he overdid it or Musgrave or Woods overdid it, they overdid it. On offense, they almost looked like first preseason game vanilla. And, of course, their corner sat back five yards, or you know, five, six, seven yards on the Raiders receivers and allowed Derek Carr to absolutely pick them apart and all led to an embarrassing 12-0 halftime you know deficit and and Denver fans booed the Broncos off the field at halftime but but to to VJ's credit he adjusted at halftime he opened things up took some momentum and he was able to squeak out of a 20 to 19 win thanks to some fourth quarter you know Case Keenum heroics but but if I had a grade VJ for his game plan against the Raiders I'd probably give him a pass for playing conservatively but a C minus D plus at best for for dialing things way too far back in the first half. Okay, so so there there's the Raiders game. Let, let's move on to Week Five now against the Jets. 
And, and that was, you know, VJ and the Broncos, just a total meltdown in, in New York against the Jets. And that just, it kind of defies description. I mean, this is just a total, complete team-wide meltdown in every facet of the game. F, F grades for everybody in a game that was, you know, basically it was their mulligan for the year uh, up until, uh, well, it was their mulligan for the year. Let's just call it that. So now, though, here's where I think things really get interesting. Okay, so in week nine, if you remember, the Broncos played in Arizona, and it was a Thursday night game. On Tuesday that week, Von Miller, you know, I'm sure everybody remembers, came out in the media, and he proclaimed that the Broncos were going to kick Arizona's donkey. And, of course, you could pretty well tell that V.J. went to Musgrave and, 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 you know, Woods that week and just said, bury them. Because the, the, the Broncos came out as boldly and aggressively as any game this season and buried the Cardinals pretty much from the first minute of the game. But, but I think it brings up a very interesting question. Did Von Miller come out and say that the Broncos were going to kick Arizona's donkey because he'd seen the game plan and he liked its aggressiveness? Or... Did VJ decide to go aggressive against Arizona after Vaughn's comments? I suspect the former. I suspect it was probably, you know, VJ in the lead there, and Vaughn was reacting to the boldness of the game plan. But, you know, maybe something we'll never know. Regardless, this was VJ's first attempt at burying a lesser opponent with a bold game plan, and it worked splendidly. 45 to 10, A plus for that game plan. And just, they came out hot and, and bold and, and just buried the Cardinals. So the next game then, uh, week 12 against Cincinnati. This was a game in, you know, in Cincinnati, tough place to win, against a team that was barely holding off the playoff host, but who were pretty much ready to give up after losing Andy Dalton for the season. Clearly, VJ decided to go low risk again, generic, and, and let Jeff Driscoll blow things up for the, for the Bengals. And really, honestly, it wasn't a bad strategy. Although Driscoll played a decent first half, it was as boring a first half as the Broncos have played this year. Neither team even got to 100 yards of total offense. But on the road, Broncos took a 7-3 lead in the halftime. And again, you know, VJ dialed things up in the second half. The Broncos forced a couple turnovers, and they won easily 24-10. The game really was never in doubt. So I'm going to give VJ an A-B plus grade for this game. Given the momentum that the Broncos had coming in, this may have been an opportunity to bury the Bengals earlier like they had the Cardinals and turn this game into a statement-type game. But, you know, seeing as how the Broncos won and there was never really any danger of losing, I give them a good grade for this game. Which brings us to Sunday against the 49ers. Okay, deep breath here. Now, when you think about preparing for this game, think about it you know, as if, as if you're, th- you're going to prepare for it ahead of the game. It actually makes some sense to play this game conservatively. You're playing against a third-string quarterback, a third-string running back, and a team that's 2-10 and and basically playing for the number one pick in the draft. But think about what VJ did by going conservative. He had just lost his all-pro cornerback, Chris Harris, and the veteran leader of the offense, Emmanuel Sanders. So he's asking a bunch of rookies and young players to step into some very big shoes. Guys like Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, uh, Tim Patrick, Isaac Yadam, uh, Bradley Roby. And not only step into these big shoes, but play things cautiously. Don't screw up. Let the 49ers make the mistake. Okay, are, are you seeing the problem here? It's one thing to ask Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and Julian Edelman to execute a third preseason game 
game plan, in type of game plan, but but against a team like the 49ers. But something totally different to ask of a team of rookies. This was VJ's boondoggle, I believe, and, and something that may ultimately cost him his job. Toning things down for a very, very young team that probably needed to have a little more of that kick-ass spirit that they had in Arizona. You know, but but you know, it's too little, too late. You know, sometimes we we learn these lessons too late. Okay, so so what's my point here? I think if you if you're looking at various team personality disorders, and you try to apply them to Vance Joseph, he grades out not great, but not terrible for for 2018. Okay, 2D, TPD number one playing up to and down to competition. I honestly don't believe that VJ has lost the locker room. I, I think that his players are giving an appropriate effort for for each game. The the issue certainly with um with the 49ers game what was that he dialed down the game plan way too far and it probably at the exact wrong time when he should have brought that that Cardinals type game plan. Instead he brought the the Raiders game plan from earlier this year and and, and just and just played Played too too passively, but but in general, you know, I think that they've played pretty good good teams close, and not badly against bad teams. You know, other than your your bad game planning. So team TPD number two team schizophrenia. Now same basic deal. I, I think it's it's def, VJ's deficiencies have been have not really been motivating the locker room. I think they've been just in lousy game planning. And TPD number three, great at home, bad on the road. Broncos are actually three and three at home this year and three and four on the road. So definitely no problems there. So my contention here is that um, he Vance Vance Joseph is is two he obviously three games left in the year. And to be perfectly honest, if John Elway it decides to fire him. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand behind Elway here. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get on a Vance Joseph bandwagon here, but, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I know I'm in a small minority, but I really believe that the issues we've been seeing with VJ this year are imminently fixable. Yes. He's, he's terrible at making challenges, but that's extremely easy to fix. Find a scouting director or a position coach or somebody who's good at challenges and just have them call the down challenges down to VJ. Vance, throw the flag. Okay? That's all you got to do. It's so easy. His game planning against the Raiders and the, the Niners for certain, possibly even the Jets, so it was ridiculously conservative. But again, that, that's easily fixable. And hopefully he's, he's learned his lesson. If he hasn't, he deserves to be fired. But hopefully he's learned his lesson here. It's losing the locker room that, that's not fixable. Josh McDaniel lost the locker room in 2010. John Fox lost the locker room in, in 2014 for certain. He may have even lost it in 2013, honestly. You look at Green Bay with Mike McCarthy. I mean, great coach there. He lost the locker room. Hugh Jackson, and of course, he's an idiot. But, but once you lose that locker room as a head coach, it's over. You're, you're done. And I honestly don't think VJ has lost the locker room. In fact, I honestly think he's done a pretty good job holding that locker room together. And for that reason, I think he has a pretty decent chance of returning as the Broncos head coach in in 2019. But VJ, we're not kidding about the cork. Kevin, back to you. So you got to let me know. 
Should I stay or should I go? It's always tease, tease, tease. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. Thanks to the skipper dude for some very so <laughs> interesting insight to what a coach needs to do to, in order to pump his team up, etc. Um, in the end, you know what? What do we have to learn from this loss and 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 look forward to for the rest of the season? And all of our overreactions aside, this team is is who we thought they would be. Again, I, I've said it several times. I know it's kind of the stereotype. It's the what everyone's saying, but it it's true. I mean, they have a journeyman quarterback. They have a, a young head coach. They have an offensive line that's banged up. They have two of their top players injured. They're a team that, that didn't really deserve to be even in the playoff discussion, but they're a team that, that that's fought probably above their talent level. Now, they do have some talent on this team, but they are really lacking in other areas. I mean, again, look at, look at, I mean, why is Darian Stewart starting on this team? And I don't want to pick on the guy. He, he's a great Bronco. He's had some great years. He, he's finished. He, he, he really looks lost out there. Bradley Roby is just not a number one, number two, or probably not even a number three cornerback in this league. And, and he's proven it. And again, the secondary is rough. The offensive line is rough. The wide receiver depth is, is okay, maybe. And, and so you know, you're looking at some positions, you know, your running backs look great. Your, your pass rush looks good. Your defensive interior looks solid. Your off your, your middle linebackers, they have good games, but then they have games where they just fall apart and don't look like they know what they're doing. I mean, and so it's a young team and it's a team that's, that's learning on the go. It's a team that's learning with their coach. And, and again, I don't think we can blame everything on Vance Joseph. I think that's a cop out. I think that's cheap. I think that's, it's really not true. I think, what you know again what does a coach have to do for a team what is his main responsibility and, and i think there are a couple you know number one is he needs to make sure the team is is prepared and ready to go on game day that means putting them in the right positions to win putting in the right coaching staff and you know making sure that the mood is correct now i think number two is making sure on the game day that you don't that you understand how to control control the clock that you challenge the right plays and that you, I don't know, don't lose the, the game for the team. Don't do anything stupid. Now, that's something that Joseph has clearly struggled with this year, but I do think he has improved. I think he has gotten better with it. And and he has, on several occasions, outcoached the other coach. And he did that with Mike Tomlin, who is who is kind of the guy that Vance Joseph should try to be. And he outcoached him. I, I, I absolutely think he did. I think he outcoached Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. So I think he's learning. He's getting better. And you can't... Just give up on a guy, I think. I, I think you have to give him a chance to grow into the position. And this team was never in a position to really succeed. You can't judge Vance Joseph because they didn't make the playoffs. Not just Vance Joseph. You have to put some of this on John Elway. And I think I think John Elway is figuring that out too. I think he's learning that a lot of this is on him. It's on his drafting mistakes in the past, his terrible drafts. For really three straight years, he missed regularly on early draft picks. And when you do that consistently for years in a row, you're going to have a bad stretch of football. It just has to happen. You can't mess up on drafts over and over and think you're going to win. So Elway, I think he's figuring that out. And I think after a 2018 draft, that was awesome. They just had six rookies starting yesterday which was 
I think the only time that I think the Broncos have done it four times in their history. And, and the other time, uh, what year was it? 2008 or something like that, where they did it three times in one season. So they're a young team. Their, their, their last draft was great. And I think Elway is, is learning that, okay, you know what? He, he messed up and now he's figuring it out. The draft is better. You have to build on that. What, you know, build on the draft and consistently now draft so that at least one, two, three, four, and hopefully five or six players from the draft are players that contribute to the team. Now, if he does that, then you're looking at a, at a window of, of winning or a window of contention in the next, I don't know, two or three or four years. It's not right now. It, it never could have been right now. And I think Elway saw that, and he saw that, you know, Case Keenum was really the only option to go out there and, first of all, appease fans at all, and second of all, put any sort of competitive team on the field. What what other choice did he have? Someone please tell me. What could he have done? Now, yeah, I don't love Case Keenum. I don't think he's a great quarterback. I think he's panicky in the pocket. I think he he is not super accurate. I think he's not very good from shotgun. I don't think he's very good at, at stepping back in the pocket. He's good at play action, but you can't run play action every play, which, I mean, maybe they should because it's the only thing he seems capable of doing. But again, he was their best option. Now, Elway knew that they are not in a contention window right now. They, they have to wait. They have to give it some time. They have to build this team from the bottom up because of bad drafts in the past. And that being the case, I don't think it's fair for Elway to fire Joseph after two years when Joseph is clearly learning on the job. I think his team has bought into what he's doing. I think they play hard for him. Now, I don't know about his coaches, but I think they play hard for Joseph. And that being the case, I think Elway's got to give him a chance, and I think he will. I keep seeing fans and and, and and everybody else, you know, these these pundits, you know, sending out tweets, you know, these tweets saying, oh, you know, Vance Joseph didn't show up for the, the radio show. And it's like, come on, they're not going to fire him this season. I mean, Elway's said that clearly. They're not firing him this season. So it's just clickbait at this point. And I believe he's going to stick around. I, I think we're going to have another, you know, it's, it's not going to be a, a, a quarterback controversy, but a, a coaching controversy. The difference being that I don't think you're going to have a 50-50 split. You're going to have a 95-5 to split, the 95% really wanting him gone, and the 5%, you know, saying, hey, let's stick it out and, and see what he does for one more year. But let's look at it realistically. I mean, what are their other options? Let's say John Harbaugh does get fired in Baltimore, which seems like it could be possible, especially after their loss against Kansas City. If he gets fired, I mean, he's got several other jobs open. I mean, Cleveland, you've got Green Bay now. Why are you going to come to Denver? I, he may not come to Denver. He does have a little bit of connections with with uh, John Elway and Gary Kubiak. But let's say he does come to Denver. Let's say he does. And wh- what is he going to change immediately? What's John Harbaugh going to do that's different than Joseph? Now, maybe he's going to not cost you the game or two that Joseph has this year, which is, again, debatable. And maybe he's going to bring a you know a more solid presence to the locker room but he, not all good things are said about John Harbaugh and he hasn't had success in a long time he seems to be an old-fashioned coach who really hasn't learned how to grow with the modern NFL and if that's the case is he going to fix things immediately no i don't think so you can't a coach can't just come in and boom it's fixed unless you're Sean McVay but that that's once in a generation type thing i think now 
you know, I think Harbaugh would improve it, but he's not going to change things. Elway is the guy who has to change things. He has to draft better. He has to figure out some of the key positions on this team that have been bad for years. When was the last time this team had a good offensive line? I don't even remember. Was it the Tim Tebow days? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, they, they were tough. They, they were guys who just, you ran the ball no matter what, and if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, well, you kept running it. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe they need they need to to I don't know focus on on just ground and pound and ugliness. But if that's the case, the the big thing you need is a quarterback who can convert on third down. Case Keenum has not done it, especially this last game proved quite clearly he is not capable of converting on third down. And he, he hasn't really done it all year. I, I don't have the stats in front of me what the year you know, the percentages, but it's not good. And two for 15 on third down is not going to cut it in the NFL. So if your identity is going to be tough defense, run the ball and have a quarterback who's going to make the throws when you need him, he's got to do that through the game. You can't just say, okay, fourth down or fourth quarter, I'm going to perform. You got to do it consistently. So, you know, if, if that's your identity, you know, you got to find a new quarterback who can do it. I don't even care who it is. I don't care if it's some some guy like this Nick Mullins guy who who looked like a better quarterback than Case Keenum. And that's tough to swallow. So maybe they need to trade for this guy in the offseason when Garoppolo comes back for San Fran. I don't know, but, but something's got to change. Now, again, what's the contention window? I don't think it's next year. I don't think it is. You, you know, you're going to have some money coming off the books. I think, you know, Demarius Thomas's money is gone. You got a couple other guys that are are, are free agents that are likely gone, Shane Ray, etc. So you're going to have a, you know a kind of a fresh start in a lot of positions, but they're really lacking depth a lot. I mean, again, the offensive line, the secondary, the defensive line. Some of those guys are gone. The, the, the pass rush, you're missing Shane Ray. He his contract's expiring. Shaq Barrett, his contract's expiring. So there's a lot this team has to do in the off season, and I'm curious to see what direction they go. But that being the case. Do you really think it's the best thing that you have to rebuild this team in a lot of ways and rebuild the coach again? Do you want to completely restart the image of this franchise again? Eventually, you have to stick with a guy. You have to go with him. And Vance Joseph has not been as bad as Hugh Jackson. I mean, Hugh Jackson's a guy that, yeah, if you win, what, three games in two and a half years, yeah, of course you have to be fired. But you have to give a guy a chance. You have to say, okay, you know, we're building this team around what he has an image of the team. And Elway's got to give him the players, too. And, and, and last year, especially, geez, they, 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 didn't, they didn't. I mean, your you're starting quarterbacks were, were Lynch, Osweiler, and Simeon. Now, Keenum hasn't been a whole lot better. But is that Joseph's fault? No, it's not. You know, part of it's the market. Part of it is because the draft. So Elway's got to get better. And if Elway can, can, you know, eat some humble pie and say, hey, yeah, this is my bad. This team is my mistake. And give Joseph one more chance, one more year, possibly even two. And Elway can build the team around what Joseph does and build it around a running game with two real star running backs. I, there's a chance. There's a chance. Um, you know, my, my, my overreaction, my, my, mentality for it is that they should stick with Joseph because I don't want to see an entire new culture change, an entire new face to the organization. I think you need to bring in someone fresh on, you know, an offensive coordinator, maybe even as defensive coordinator and go with it again. And probably Keenum as well. 
give him another offseason to figure it out. Give Keenum another offseason and, and season to, to try to work in this system. If he doesn't work, draft somebody else. But there's what what are your options? Everyone's whining and bitching about what the team has with, with our coach and with our quarterback. What should they do? Tell me. Should they draft someone in the first round? First of all, the Broncos draft pick right now is in, in the middle of the first round. I don't know, 15th, 16th, 17th. So you're not going to get a great quarterback anyway. The free agent list, I don't think it's great. So maybe if there's someone coming out that, that looks interesting, maybe someone wants to be traded. I don't know, but there aren't that many obvious options. So stop telling me that the team should fire Vance Joseph and should dump Case Keenum when you don't have another better option. Who are they going to bring in as a coach? Sean McVay's don't grow on trees, okay? I mean, look at look at Shanahan Jr. He hasn't done any better. Now, yeah, he just beat the Broncos, but I don't think he looks that great as a coach either. For goodness sake, his team just almost choked the, the, the game away when they, they knelt too early on fourth down. I don't think he looked that brilliant. The reason the San Francisco 49ers won that game is because the team made some big mistakes against the only good player on the squad somehow they decided that George Kittle should just run free now yeah I think a little bit of that was scheme but it, but look at the plays again the, the, the 85 yard touchdown was because for some reason Todd Davis and Darian Stewart decided to run somewhere I mean they ran away from from everybody so you can't just blame that on the coaches you have to blame it on the players and when you're blaming on the players you've got to at least partly blame it on the guy who brings in the players that's John Elway again John Elway has to be the ultimate the the the, the crap flows downhill you know I mean it starts with him he has to take the blame and if he's going to take the blame he has to say okay this is my last chance to go Get a couple drafts in. 2018 was a great start. 19 can be another one. 20 again. And stick with Vance Joseph. Let him build. Let him grow. Let him become a guy who could become a great coach. Let him become a Mike Tomlin type of, of leader, a type of, of guy that players want to play for. I think he could be. But you have to give him the chance. You have to give him the chance. And fans, I understand the frustration with Vance Joseph. I'm a fan too. I don't like to lose. I don't like my coach looking like he's a little oblivious sometimes on the sideline, but I also don't like other fans who just blame it on the coaches. You have to say the players don't perform sometimes. That 85-yard touchdown, that was not on the coaches. It wasn't, okay? So yeah, I mean, the offense was terrible, but part of it was because your offensive line was was brutal against a stacked defensive line because your quarterback couldn't complete his passes, especially on third down. And when you have a quarterback who can't perform, is that the coach's fault? Is it the coach's fault that the offensive line can't block? Is it his fault that your top receiver is, is injured and that you're, you traded away your other guy? <laughs> no. Stop putting everything on the head coach. Stop every day saying that Vance Joseph should be fired because it's it's just, it, it gets to be ridiculous. Yeah, bad game. Agreed. Vance Joseph should take some crap. Yes, I'll give it to him too. The whole team though, the whole team. Stop putting everything on Joseph when Darian Stewart was the one who several times looks like he's a lost little child out in the field. Bradley Roby deciding not to tackle anybody. Eventually, we have to put some of this on the players. And if we're putting it on the players, we have to say, okay, what is the mentality we want here? Who are the players we want in Denver? 
We want guys who play hard, guys who get dirty. We want Champ Bailey-type cornerbacks. We want Steve Atwater-type safeties. Now, yeah, again, Darian Stewart was great at once upon a time. He's not anymore, okay? Bring in somebody else. Maybe it's Sua Cravens. I don't know. Give this team a chance. We all predicted that they would be 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, and seven. So why are we all so upset that that's probably what they're going to be? Their coach met expectations or probably will meet expectations and improved from last season. The young guys have gotten a chance and they have proven that they have skills that they could potentially be a great team if Elway continues to bring in good players. That's good. The season is not lost. All hope is not lost. Stop panicking. So yes, for this game, for this season, it's time to panic. For this team, for the coach, for the future, relax. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.